Our second scripture reading is from the Gospel of St. Luke, the 13th chapter, and is printed in your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others living in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Here ends our reading. It was a standard theology for the ancients that sin and punishment were held together. If someone was killed, as the Galileans who perished mentioned in Luke, it would have been assumed it was because they had sinned. The response Jesus gives is, no, they were not worse sinners than you. That is not the reason they were killed. He continues on, leaving this line of thinking a little funny, fuzzy, to be honest, and then tells the parable of the fig tree. Depending on who you think each of the characters in the story are meant to be, the meaning might lead you down different roads. A landowner is, who is speaking to his gardener is considering chopping the tree down he has grown impatient and angry with this tree that is already three years old and has yet to bear any fruit. And the gardener says, no, let me dig around it and put some manure on it and see if fruit might still come. Reading this, I became curious about trees and caring for trees. And I was looking up why somebody in our time would need to dig around it. And I found this Master Gardener program document out of, the, out of Colorado State University. It says that you need to have a large saucer-like hole dug around a tree. And the reason for this is because the earth around the roots needs to be malleable enough that the roots can grow and expand and reach fertile soil and be able to breathe and be able to soak in the water without drowning in the water. 
And when a tree is planted and is contained by the ground so that there is not, not enough breaking apart of the soil and the hole wasn't made big enough in the planting, the roots tend to trunk girdle, basically, basically strangling itself. The roots don't have an opportunity to expand and breathe. The tree becomes stressed, and a stressed tree is more vulnerable to disease and illness and insects attacking it. And what you really need is a happy tree. And a happy tree, in addition to the space to breathe and the soil that is not too rich nor not rich enough, also requires that it be in community. A tree that bears fruit cannot bear fruit unless there is at least one other fruit-bearing tree that the butterflies and the bees can help to cross-pollinate. As I imagine God as the gardener and meditate on the happiness of trees, instead of an image of God being about reprimanding due to sin or failure to produce fruit, God is about encouraging the tree to thrive. It's an image of a God who trusts in that tree and values that tree's ability to bear fruit enough that God is willing to be patient. And God is also going to invest the resources of creation, the resources of the earth, of the soil, the water, the sun, the work of the bees, all of creation is also investing itself in this tree's life and in its efforts to bear fruit. It's an image of God and God's creation that is about conspiring to help and provide every opportunity for the tree to fully find and drink in richness. And it's a different image entirely than a God who is waiting to reprimand you or take out your life, God is instead waiting for your life to expand. I relate to this on the level of domestic violence in my work as an advocate at the Center for Domestic Peace because I am often sitting with women who are being punished, people who are being mistreated by someone who loves them and who they love, and they don't understand why this is happening. They are often asking themselves, what did I do? What didn't I do enough of? Is it because I don't have enough confidence? Is it because I didn't make their meal correctly? Is it because I took notice of that person over there and somehow I'm being a bad partner by noticing somebody else? Is it because I didn't pay attention to my partner's needs? Is it because I'm insecure? Why is it? There must be some reason for my punishment. And it's very difficult to trade out that searching for the reason of why the punishment is happening for an image that says, truly, you did nothing wrong for an image to guide you that love and all the world is about your goodness and your thriving, which is to be protected and dreamed of, not about waiting to punish you and catch you when you did something wrong. 
I notice that sometimes I focus on the picture of the tree that doesn't bear fruit or can't bear fruit. The picture where there's something wrong with the tree and it's just not going to happen. Instead of seeing the possibility and seeing all this conspiring towards life and seeing that the fruit is waiting there to be born and can be born and will be born. And sometimes I need somebody else to reflect to me that they see that I am a fruit-bearing tree. You may have noticed that within your bulletin, this morning there's an image by Polish illustrator Eva Polewski-Kozieta. I came across her art this week as I've continued my Lenten journey looking at that blog. And this image of people delighting in trees and the life of trees at different stages and the interconnected work of bearing fruit. Now this image isn't as clear as it is online, but still I'll help guide you through it. There's a trail of butterflies made between each tree. Each tree is connected to one another through the butterflies. That's part of the yielding of life. On the right side of the image, halfway down, there's a little girl that's watering one of the trees. And as she's watering it, you see there's branches growing up from within her as well, on top of her head. That part of the watering of the tree is also helping her to bear fruit, even as she helps this tree to grow. And another little girl with branches and blooms already growing, as if dreaming or imagining is coming out of her. And then another, full with green leaves, is supporting the life of squirrels or some sort of animal family. This creation is interconnected. This bearing of fruit is an integrated image, and it's celebrated together. Sometimes we need another image, like the parable of the fig tree to swim in, so that we can find our way, so that we can have enough room for our roots to expand and find the good nutrients of the soil. As I was playing with all of this, immediately a story of my partner David and his father came to mind that I couldn't shake, and so I decided I'm just going to tell you. David's dad is now in his mid to late 80s, and there is this reflecting that is often happening as we gather before dinner or have tea afterwards. I think it's partly because David is reflecting on his own life journey, but now he's also been offering these stories that have girded him up back to his parents as a part of saying, I don't know if you knew that this thing that you did when I was young was important, but this has been my sustenance. This has been part of my good nutrients that I needed in order to bear fruit and to discover that I could bear fruit. When David was growing up, he had a difficult time in school, and he thought he wasn't able to learn. And this was painful for him. But what he knew he could do was be a social butterfly. So he leaned into that skill that came easily, and sometimes he used it to hide from schoolwork. 
So he ended up being quite skilled in partying and testing out recreational activities. And he did not do well academically. He put very little time into studying. He was often in the streets playing wiffle ball and baseball, not bad things. He was not inside studying like his sister. And when he was in college, he spent the first two years barely going to class. And when he did go to class, he was certainly not paying attention or studying and was put on academic probation and could have been asked to leave. And one day, in his third year, his father came to him. Well, there was good reason to pull him out, for he had been wasting the family's resources, his father decided he was going to see him through. So he met with David, and he said to him, You've never really tried before. What if you took just this next semester and tested out what would happen if you tried? If all that time you spent partying, you spent one semester in the library studying and giving this thing a fair shot, what do you have to lose? For some reason, David was able to hear those words of encouragement. The soil began to loosen and he began to try. He worked really, really hard, and he started passing. And not just passing, but thriving. He started seeing it was possible for him to succeed in an area he never felt able. He didn't know it was possible, but his father helped him free up the roots that had been binding him and find that he could continue to stand and grow and discover new ways of bearing fruit. In the stories leading up to the parable of the fig tree in Luke's text, part of the encouragement is aimed at the people discerning what are the nutrients, what is the food you're after, and is that food what really leads you to life? David was afraid of failing. So he took in the goodness he found in being skilled socially, which did have real goodness. But it ended up leaving him with atrophied muscles or roots in other areas. David's dad helped hold space for him to strengthen those muscles. God is about helping you delight in rich food, helping you find good water, God is about conspiring for you to thrive. Just before our reading for this morning, Jesus says to the gathered people, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Abba's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, that kingdom where goodness and rich food and life flourishes. I imagine the work of bearing fruit is different for each person. The work we are called to do, that holy labor, that's the secret of our seed. Maybe it's the work of play. Maybe it's the work of tending the garden or of learning in academia. Maybe it's in the work of being with people who are coming out of a trunk girdle. 
Maybe it's the work of being gentle as we notice our resentments. Or of sitting still. Maybe it's being gentle as I hear someone replaying what they've been told, that there is something wrong with them or that they deserve the suffering rain down upon them. We all have fruit to bear. It's holy work. My fruit is integrated into yours and yours into mine. The kingdom is about encouraging one another to thrive, not being set up to be chopped down. As David was retelling his story, he said, I didn't believe, but my dad believed I could do it. And I discovered I really was a fruit-bearing tree. I was the tree and the gardener and the fruit.